we're taught from a young age not be too much, not take up too much space, not be loud, not be ourselves, not be disruptive. Do you ever worry what people will think about what you're posting on social media? That you'll be negatively judged by friends, families, and maybe even other business owners? If so, you are definitely not alone. And it's something that can keep people stuck, particularly women. It's also a topic that can be a bit divisive. I think my feeling was, is that what we're being influenced to do as women in order to please an algorithm? Because for me, I got no business message out of that. But maybe for other people, maybe they would have got the, let's be ourselves, let's take up this space, let's dance, let's feel the joy. In this episode of the Courageous Content Podcast, you'll hear from Helen Perry, an online business teacher, Instagram specialist, and host of the brilliant Just Bloody Posted podcast. The clue is in the name. If somebody, just one person sits and watch your live broadcast, they are going to be so much more connected to you than they would have been before, that it could just be worth it. I'm proud to say that Helen is a former client and she's also a keynote speaker at my annual content marketing event, Courageous Content Live, which is happening in Newcastle on November the 1st and 2nd. So this is a chance to find out more about Helen, how she's grown and monetized her following on Instagram and launched one of the UK's top business and marketing podcasts. Plus, you'll find out what you can learn from her at Courageous Content Live. So Helen, your brand is just bloody post it. What's it all about? Just bloody post it is a phrase that I sort of stumbled upon that people got, they understood it. And it seemed to answer a lot of the questions I was getting from the kind of clients that I'm working with around, should I share this? Should I do that? Am I going to make a fool of myself if I do this? And do you think I have to do video? And, you know, often the answer is not something I can give you. It's at the other end of you trying some things and putting some stuff out there and gathering the data and the feedback that you get and working out that way what your kind of ideal client customer audience wants. So just put it out there, just bloody post it. That's where it comes from. (laughs) But of course, it's easy for, I think, me and you to say that to people because I've said exactly the same thing so many times because we both come from a, you're from a broadcast journalism background. I'm a print journalist. So we've had that experience of putting content out there, getting feedback, maybe not always getting the feedback that we hoped for. And I guess that does give us a bit of a natural advantage. What about those people who are so green to it? They've not had the experience that we've had. What would you say to them? All right, I would say that, you know, fair dues. I think that's really fair comment, actually. I did come to content creating and audience building with the sort of skill set that I picked up at work. And I worked for most of my career as journalist at BBC Radio One. And they have a really key role to play within the organizational structure of the BBC in that they attract younger audiences, or that is the point of Radio 1, is to serve younger audiences. And that is really key for the BBC because it helps them to continue to secure government funding for what they do. If they are only increasingly like reaching older and older and older people, it becomes less relevant. And, you know, then the case for them continuing to be publicly funded is weaker. So they put loads of effort into audience research and understanding that younger age group, of like 16 to 24 year olds and what they really want, what's really important to them, what their lives are really like. And I think working in that environment gave me an understanding of that kind of market research and having a target audience and how important it is that everything that you put out there 
is with them in mind, like which stories are most interesting to them? What kind of language do they really use? So that's the other piece that I've brought to content creating is that I'm always trying to write for my people, my target audience in a way that will be relatable to them and about things that are interesting to them. And, you know, alongside that, I just bloody post it. I just share things. And then what I'm guessing about people is either confirmed or or not confirmed. Yeah, that's really interesting. But I remember meeting you for the first time, I think, in person. Um, mm. at a, It was a, a little meetup that I was running in Reading. And I remember being surprised, actually, by how, given you had all this amazing BBC experience, how underconfident, if you like, I can't, I can't believe I'm saying this on this, like on this podcast for the first time, I should have warned you, shouldn't I? But almost how underconfident you were about your business, which was just getting going then, and your abilities, given the fact you had all this amazing experience. And I remember being like, Helen, you just, just go for it. Just do this, just do that. So I do feel like you have been there you have had that kind of uncertainty that kind of am I doing the right thing yeah. I, don't, I don't know what you're going to say now you might be like oh, no okay but that, no that's that, that is it's it's interesting to go to step back a few years and think about how you know you might have been I would definitely say that my business journey has been about kind of rediscovering my own confidence you know between what you know but what we're not talking about is between me being a journalist in my 20s and early 30s I then had like six or seven years off at home and children are pretty harsh appraisers of your work and your skills <laughs> so and also it's a hell of a lot of time in your own, in your own head. And then I was just going back out there and I was feeling my way. And also something you do not learn at the BBC is how to do business. Like I had no idea how to do business. You know, your department's pretty well funded and I wasn't management either. I was a working journalist. I didn't have to think about money. I didn't have to think about making money. So for me, I do still, I suppose I do still feel underconfident. But, and again, it's a good thing to remember when you're looking at other people that might have been doing what you'd like to do a few years down the line that their confidence they've got is because they've been getting positive feedback or things have been working for them over a number of years and your confidence builds with that and I suppose since that lunch which was a really good idea actually Jan just like hosting a really it was like a really accessible lunch where people could come and meet you and you know it was just like a couple of hours of your time but it was it was a great bit of kind of like customer loyalty building that lunch just an opportunity to meet your people I suppose for you as well but just remember that people become more confident over time with their business and you can't expect to be where they are when you're just starting out. Yeah, that is an interesting observation, Jan. I guess you forget quite quickly where you once were with your, with your work. Yeah, I just, you know? I just remember being really struck by how, how much skill and talent you had because I could see your account and I could see the content that you're creating. And I felt like there was something holding you back. And it's interesting, you might not remember this, but I remember saying to you you were sort of resisting mm. the Instagram thing and I was like yeah. just just that's what people want from you right now just go yeah. for it and just learn what you can and then you can pivot into what you want to do yeah I, I think, was yeah I was definitely resisting niching I think I think that whole, the whole idea of niche was probably something that I found difficult to really get hold of for a couple of years that you've got to be for someone you've got to be an expert in something and just being kind of like generally a nice person or somebody that seems like quite good at things is not it's not enough that's not a business yeah definitely and I think you did sort of take that forward didn't you and, and start to focus on Instagram and it's like you zoomed in and now you're zooming out again it can be the way to get you where you you want to be is you know focusing on that thing that people want from you at the time and, and then you can broaden again if you like which is 
what I've watched you do. But um, and I only made that point because although you do have all that broadcast experience, I do think there was a certain amount of empathy that you had with your audience because you felt that uncertainty, if you like. I mean, absolutely. And in terms of like posting on social media, like in my life, there was probably a photograph of me graduating university and then a photograph of me getting married and then a photograph when I had the kids and then like nothing (laughs) until I started this business. If you go back to the beginning of my Instagram account, I used to like post pictures that had like half my face in it or like just my mouth or my hands or something because I struggled with surely nobody wants to see my face you know like I'm a 40 year old woman as I was at the time like who you know what are the people that live around here going to think about my Instagram account and so I've definitely been through all of those struggles that my audience are going through whenever they're coming to uh, social media in order to start building an audience and and sell their work you know I've been through that I've put my first video up I've been on stories for the first time on Instagram whatever it might be I've definitely been through that but oh man maybe you lose touch with it it's really hard as a teacher I often find myself going in too high with people Uh, I don't know if you find the same thing you know where you're like you've forgotten the beginning of the first things that you've learned and I you know whenever I'm talking to people about them you know designing their own kind of online teaching product or something it's like you know remember the very first things you learn and the very first things people need to know how to do because you've almost forgotten that you learned them so thank you for bringing me back in touch with that (laughs) (laughs) yeah I experienced the same as you did you know the, the same uncertainty the same what will people think like how will they react what if they don't like it I think it gives you maybe a bit more resilience if you've been used to working in that environment and you're used to working with content as well. Like you said about understanding, I think we, an advantage we might have is that we intrinsically understand that you can't just deliver up things that people aren't interested in. You can't keep delivering stuff, you know, that people aren't interested in. You need to go and find out. And maybe that made us more able to kind of stick with it and not expect instant results because we know that it's, it's a process, it's a journey, it takes research. I think maybe that's the part of it that is the advantage possibly. And enjoying it. I like creating stuff. I like, I love creating podcasts because that's much like what I used to do. You know, radio was my first love and and in some ways still really is the thing I love the most. I like to write. I like to take photos. I mean, that helps a lot. If you can find a type of content that you can get enjoyment out of doing, and that comes with practice, definitely as well, like, you know, give it a chance. But if you can find the type that is you're least resistant to, like, do that. And were there any things, if you can think back, that helped you to get the courage to go from posting half your face to um, (laughs) video? Yeah. You know, do you know, I really wanted to make it work, Janet, and I could see that. If you look at the kind of accounts or content that you're connecting with or the people that you're buying things from, you're probably not just seeing their hands on the internet. You're probably either they write in a way that is honest and compelling to you, or often you'll be connecting with their face and their words and their spoken words. And I just, around video, I read a lot of data about how compelling you know video is and I could see as soon as I started sharing it that you can get across in a a quick video what would take a long blog post to achieve and all that data is being borne out now you know Instagram is now really a video first platform and you know I just just thought I'd give it a go and when I did post one people liked them and then you know that helps doesn't it because then you post another one 
Yeah, exactly. And but I've noticed that you do things in your videos like you always do that little wave at the beginning and um <laughs> do you know what I might stop that because I was going through my own reels and every single one of them goes hello 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 and I was like oh no that's actually really irritating when you look at oh, them no. back to back <laughs> yeah, I, but I, I really like that you know when somebody starts there's somebody I follow on TikTok and she always says hello my wee darling <laughs> and, and, and to her it probably feels irritating but when it comes to content, I think actually repetition, it, that's, yeah. why, that's why TV and radio shows start in the same way, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah, agreed. It is. People do like familiarity. They do like repetition. They like to see the same things. They like to see you sitting on the same chair. And we get bored of ourselves way before anybody else gets bored of yeah. seeing us, you know. And I wanted to ask you about what's worked for your clients. So whenever I go to an event to speak and there's a Q&A, people always ask me, the question I always get is, I'm afraid of video. What do you recommend? And so like you, I'm like, uh, just make a video and post it. Like, there really is no other way. However, uh, and as we've talked about, you know, we're bringing different experiences that might make that slightly easier for us. You know, understanding how to tell a story, that, that kind of thing. And just maybe being a little bit more confident because we've had to put ourselves out there. But what's worked with clients? I mean, I'm imagining that there isn't one formula because all clients are different. But are there any things that you've noticed have worked with clients that kind of just get them to go for it and be brave? Often it will be working with somebody who's kind of giving them the permission and the nudge. So I think it's probably the fact that I've gone just do it. I often feel when I'm running a course or a group or something like that, that really my main job is to just sort of hold this space for somebody to focus in on something, do something that they've been putting off for ages that they'd actually quite like to do often, but they need somebody to sort of say, this is okay, you know, just give it, I'm telling you to do it, do it this week, and then it's done. But often, what else do I find works? Just sort of taking a deep breath and pushing something slightly further than you have been prepared to do before. And that could be sending the second email in one day about the deadline for, you know, doors closing on something that people would have been really scared to do in the past and actually ending up with 10 more bookings as a result of doing it or just responding to something that's current at the moment, sharing a post about something that's going on right now and sharing what you actually think about it and getting the best engagement that you've ever got on any post. So quite often, it's just about nudging yourself further out of your comfort zone every so often and seeing better results come in. Is that a bit wishy-washy? No. And, and this is the, the problem with it, isn't it? Because I always answer that question the same way. You just have to post video. The, the only way to get better yeah. at video is to, is to create video. I mean, one thing that I have found has helped with my clients is giving them templates and scripts for yeah. Instagram or TikTok. And I don't mean like say this, but fill in the gap stuff, because I think sometimes what can hold people back is just not knowing what to say. How long does a video need to be? How many yeah. things? So as long as people then use that as a springboard and then like, right, okay, I've used Janet's templates to create four mm. videos and now I feel I can start to freestyle a bit more. I think the, yeah, you're creating a, a little safety net for them when they're not sure and it's just enough to help nudge them over. But I've got this social media post in my mind that I still haven't written up and I've got it in the notes on my phone, which is is like good reasons to not do video and bad reasons to not do video and like my good reason to not do video would be like all your other marketing's working so brilliantly well that you don't need to worry about doing video or your phone is broken and those are like the two good reasons to not do it but if the reason you're not doing it is all this stuff around oh I'm not sure what to say and oh surely nobody wants to see me and you know just like call out your own bullshit could it be really helpful to your clients to see you on video in which case do it for them you know yeah and 
do you feel that women are more prone <laughs> to to saying these things and not just having a go and putting themselves out there? Yeah, we work with lots of women and we are far more inclined to question our own expertise, to ask ourselves, what have I really got to add to this? Or there are other people that are doing what I do. Surely we don't need to hear another voice. This is years and years of deep kind of people pleasing issues, confidence issues. You know, we're taught from a young age, I was talking to somebody about this yesterday, to not be too much, not take up too much space, not be loud, not be ourselves, not be disruptive. So it's a big job for me to help people get over that stuff because it does run very deep. But I start by telling people that there are always lots of people that do what we do. And you might just be the right person to deliver that service to your particular group of people. So if every accountant or every estate agent went, oh gosh, there's already another accountant up the road then you know what I mean we wouldn't have enough accountants so there is space for you but it's hard and I, I yeah I know it's hard especially for women yeah and do you have a handle on why women seem to find it so hard is there anything that you've learned working with your clients I mean my clients tend to be a bit older like not digital natives so they haven't like you know my daughter and her friends grown up popping themselves on snapchat every day or putting themselves out on tiktok since they were 10 or 11 years old it's so it's, it's not a natural thing for us but you know mainly it's just around who am i to do this and would people really want to hear from me and what if i get rejected if i go out there and nobody likes it this fear of you know that you know there's a real fear of instagram lives that people fear that nobody will watch or well, you can go live on linkedin these days can't you and definitely tiktok and it's just like if somebody says to you well so what if nobody's seen it who cares or if nobody's seen it you've still done it you've had a practice run somebody might watch the recording back later and you know what if somebody just one person sits and watch your live broadcast they are gonna be so much more connected to you than they would have been before that it could just be worth it and that one person could be really important to your business so Mm. give it a go And do you think around things like Instagram Reels, for example, I remember listening to a podcast that you did about this, but how influenced are people by the messages that are coming both from the online space and externally? So for example, I made an Instagram Reel (laughs) about how harmful it can be for online entrepreneurs to knock women pointing at words on reels. Mm. Do you remember there was a little phase when Mm. people were like really mocking women? And I made this reel where I was like, well, maybe that for somebody is the only way that they feel that they can do it to start off with because it's the easiest way for them to kind of get started and maybe they want to do it because maybe they like it which is fine (laughs) but actually I think sometimes there's unhelpful messages it's easy if you're a confident online entrepreneur who has no problem jumping on camera to mock the ways that people are using video oh if I see another video like that or I see another woman pointing at reels or oh dancing on reels like I listened to I think it was a podcast episode of reels I listened to about you know you don't have to dance on reels or whatever and you absolutely don't and I thought you made some really good points on that podcast and I will link to it in the show notes but at the same time for those people who do want to dance or do trends or whatever I think what I'm getting at is that it can be like the school playground it can feel a bit like or you know, mum's on the school playground Um, and it can feel like you can't do right for doing wrong. Does that make sense? Yeah, it really does make sense. I'm just checking back in with my own feelings on that. I think I had a moment of 
rage about an, an Instagram reel that I'd seen with a female entrepreneur in a pair of hot pants <laughs> uh, doing a dance. But for her, you're absolutely right. Do it. Wear your hot pants. Do your dance. I think my feeling was, is that what we're being influenced to do as women in order to please an algorithm? Mm. because for me I got no business message out of that but maybe for other people maybe they would have got the let's be ourselves let's be let's take up this space let's dance let's feel the joy somebody else might have got that from it from me I got nothing useful but you're absolutely right everybody weighing in and criticizing what other women and it's always women Mm. are being criticized for doing just feeds into this whole fear that people have got about actually wanting to put themselves out there because it could help them run a business that fulfills their potential and their earnings goals and allows them to be independent and do the things they want to with their life. And whatever way you do that, whether you're pointing or dancing or not, is (laughs) fine by me. Exactly. And I know we briefly talked about this before we we got on to this interview but what's your feeling around in general what it's like out there in the online space at the moment and what it feels like to be a a female entrepreneur trying to build a business it can feel quite confusing because there's all these different messages and then there's all the beautiful people prancing about in their hot pants and their reels (laughs) and it's like it's kind of like where where do you fit in and you know people on beaches and speedboats and and and, oh man I'm not I'm not oh my god here having said I'm not going to judge I'm just going to judge I I, I'm not into that stuff I'm not into the private jet content for other people again that could be absolutely the spark of inspiration that they need do you know what I'm trying to lean into as my business matures is I am trying to really stay in touch with the parts of my online work that are mine to keep that seem to actually bring measurable results and that would be my email marketing list my podcast my website my repeat customers I'm really trying to not get distracted by kind of feeding an algorithm somewhere you do not need to do any of that stuff to grow an online business there are people doing it in all kinds of different ways there are people using TikTok in a really straightforward enjoyable fun way I really love that platform even though I'm not on it but it's just constantly trying to not get distracted by vanity metrics and dopamine hits and all of that kind of thing. It's hard, you know, and I'm a proper grown up now, but it is difficult to just keep in touch with good people and not be always looking over someone's shoulder to the next follower or the next viral reel or whatever it might be that you can see and could be really triggering when other people seem to be doing very well. You know, what's really happening in your business is there really money in your bank account? I'm trying to keep hold of those priorities. Does that answer the question? Definitely. And where does your podcast fit into the rest of your business? What inspired you to start a podcast? I mean, it's an obvious choice for me because I used to do radio broadcasting and I had wanted to do one for a long time, but I know it's a time and financial commitment to do a podcast. It's also a slow burn. And I still, I'm really at the beginning of my journey in terms of understanding how to promote and grow a podcast. What I know is a good podcast, but I'm not quite sure how to really grow it or or in fact, whether that's necessary or I just allow it to be a slow burn. I know that in the American market and American content marketers are way ahead of us, Jan. I don't know if you'd agree with that, you know, that podcasting Mm. is just huge over there. So you've got to look at what all those guys are doing and think, 
probably should have a podcast. And it just has, in terms of, you know, job satisfaction, having conversations like this are, are awesome. And it's allowed me to really strengthen some contacts with people that, you know, I've been on podcasts with. You know, they then become, you know, closer friends. The feedback you get from podcasts is nothing like the feedback you get from any other kind of content. If you can sit and talk to somebody for half an hour in their ear and they're listening to you, you can just form a much deeper connection with them. I love listening to podcasts. I love making my podcast. It's, it's a hard one because how do you see it directly feedback into your business? Do you have a way of measuring that, Janet? Well, we do use trackable links uh, for some mm. things and even things like voucher codes. So you can see, yeah. uh, for example, if you use specific voucher codes for specific products, you can see who's buying. I have a friend who has a very, very small podcast, much, much smaller than mine or yours. And she makes tons more sales <laughs> or measurable sales you could have a podcast with 200 listeners, but if those 200 listeners are getting you the results that you you need, like why worry about having a massive big audience? And it's interesting. I don't know whether you ever look at the, the chartable marketing stats. I'm sure all podcasters do, but I'm always quite quite proud to say like, oh, I worked with Helen Perry because I can't claim any, any credit for your podcast, but it, yours is a very popular podcast, isn't it? And it's often up there in the top marketing podcast for the UK which yeah is pretty, which is pretty good right out of the gate isn't it? it's had its moments it, I mean even how the podcast chart works is a bit of a mystery to me but because it, it's a sort of constant rolling chart isn't it and it's had its peaks and you know that's often around choosing your guest and you know sometimes guests uh, are awesome at sharing that they've been on your podcast and, and you know sometimes that's that's not something they do and that's fine I have no expectation around that but I've invested in a, a producer, Suze, my producer. Hello, Suze at Story Publishing is, is you know, makes it sound good. <laughs> I think, you know, you get loyal listeners, don't you? And they stick with you. And thank you for the tip on voucher codes. I've just scribbled that down in green pen <laughs> on my notepad. Yeah, no, it, it, I think podcasting is, for me, it's the best way to build that relationship with people because you're quite literally in someone's ear mm-hmm. and they get to know you and they feel like they know you. And I've had this actually happened to me. So I was in St. Pancras station buying a cup of coffee at that very swanky pink place. I forget what it's called now. And someone I knew, it was a former client, but I hadn't seen her for years and years. She came over and said, Oh my God, Janet, hi. And it was her husband that recognized me because he recognized my voice ordering a coffee. How about that? You know, that that just shows you how powerful it is. If someone's husband says, Isn't that that lady whose podcast you listen to? I mean, that says something. And people do say sometimes like that, that, that I'm on my second podcast now and, and people, their children recognize my voice or partners. You know, it really is a powerful way to build that relationship with people, isn't it? And um, Yeah. And also the episodes, they just, you know, I just like it because, you know, you can invest such a long time in, in creating a, like a lovely Instagram post or whatever it might be. And, and it's just gone, you know, even if it's awesome work, it's still gone. It doesn't have any lifespan, really. It doesn't come back. But, you know, I'll get a message during the week about somebody who's listened to a podcast that I created nine months ago. And, it's worthwhile investing your time in making them. I suppose that's what I feel. Yeah. And another thing which would really underline that is that I had another podcast before, the Build Your Online Audience podcast, and I ummed and ahmed about whether to start afresh with the Courageous Content podcast or whether to stay on the same RSS feed, which if you don't have a podcast, don't worry, don't worry about that. But <laughs> in, in the end, I, I, I decided I wanted a clean break. But the most annoying thing in the world is that every so often, someone will discover their old podcast because, you know, it would seem silly to take it down. Even though I've made a final podcast, even though I've now put on a cover that says Janet Murray has a new podcast, 
people will discover it, they'll download it a load, and then suddenly my old podcast will be shooting up the charts and sometimes overtaking my new podcast. Oh my God, <laughs> and I'm rude. like, no. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and it, but again, it just shows that if, if if people that content is still there and you know I like to think people will, will work it out eventually that it's an old podcast. But and that's really what I wanted to finish up with. So you started your business if you like on Instagram and building your audience there and the, but you were also building we had a blog, didn't you? And you were building, yeah. uh, you're building your list. But having that podcast, it sort of secures your business, doesn't it? Because it gives you that content that's evergreen content that's going to be there for years to come, that's going to help people to find you. And as we all know, with social media, it can be taken from you at any moment. And you've spent all of that time creating those Instagram videos and they might be brilliant, but actually if, you know, if Instagram decides to take your account down or whatever, that that could all be gone. But this is a way of of really building a more sustainable business because you've got content that people can find for, for, for years to come. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know a lot of businesses have experienced a, a jolt and a wake-up call with Instagram, you know, in the last six to nine months when the rules of the platform have changed and there's nothing we can do about it. And just posting a picture now on Instagram often just it doesn't work anymore. It's not interesting enough. It's not what the platform's about now. It doesn't hold your attention. And then you've got to decide whether you go with what now will work with the Instagram algorithm, which is creating short form video, or whether you just go, do you know what? I'm not up for this. So therefore I'm, I'm going to do my work somewhere else. And th- those are the only choices that you've got to make. There's no point in going, meh, 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 you know, Instagram's not as good as it used to be. Or, you know, it's not, it's not within our power to influence that. We can only influence what we choose to do. So make conscious choices. <laughs> I suppose that's what I was doing with the podcast. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's brilliant. And I, I will, it's the Just Bloody Post-it podcast and I will link to it in the show notes. Well, we're going to hear more from Helen at Courageous Content Live because she is going to be one of our keynote speakers, which is very, very exciting for me. And it's very exciting to be able to invite someone who I've worked with and I've watched them rise, you know, rise up through the ranks. And, you know, people really rate Helen and, and Helen's work which has been really really lovely to watch and I feel very proud just to say that I, I have you know been a small part of the journey along the way so we're going to hear more from you at Courageous Content Live and you are going to be talking more about how we just get over ourselves and just just get content out there but a couple of things before we finish up where can we find you I think we've, we've probably, we've probably <laughs> oh, <listen>. covered that <laughs> uh, I can, yeah I, I you can always find I hang out on Instagram a lot and I'm just Helen Perry there and Jan I can't wait or I maybe I can wait I am feeling already a little bit nervous about speaking at courageous content how many people will be in the room oh um well there'll be about 250 300 in the room and then it's being live streamed as well so okie doke <laughs> so, yeah. all right yeah. That's going to be a, a new challenge for me, but I can't wait. And I, can't, I just can't wait to come up and, and hang out with people for a few days. It's going to be mega. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. And also, how can people work with you? I don't run a membership as Jan does. I run courses around Instagram and email marketing. If you pop over to my website, just Google Helen Perry. There are some waiting lists that you can sign up for that will let you know when my bigger courses and workshops are happening. But if you get my newsletter, The Switch, you will find out everything first. And there's a sign up form for that on my website as well. Brilliant. Thanks, Helen. Thank you, Jen. So I hope you found that useful. And if you'd like to hear more from Helen and meet her in person, 
then do make sure you get your ticket for Courageous Content Live. Helen is one of around eight amazing keynote speakers. It's the only content marketing event of this size that's happening in the UK in 2022, to my knowledge anyway. And you name it, we cover it. Email marketing, social media marketing, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, Pinterest, online course creation, funnels, podcasting, YouTube, if it has anything to do with growing your business online and content, you will get so much value from being at the event. Plus, you'll be first to get your hands on a copy of my 2023 Courageous Content Planner and get your content plan created for the coming year. And given the events of the past few years, get the chance to spend a couple of days networking and brainstorming with other business owners in the fabulous city of Newcastle. You can grab a link to get your event ticket and all Helen's links too. And if you enjoyed this episode, then do let both myself and Helen know on Instagram. I'm at Jan Murray UK and Helen is Helen underscore Perry. There's a couple of underscores, but search up her name and you will find her.